Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, exciting morning. (laughs) Not exactly what I was expecting, but it's a it's a good morning. Oh, I got my mask. There you go. Look at that. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here today. I am so excited. We have three students who are um, getting baptized, and we have another sixth grader, uh, real solid sixth grader who I think you'll recognize who is uh, going to be joining our youth group this summer, I hope. All four of them will be getting baptized. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Seeing newness of life in these students as Christ gets a hold of their life and and they, in turn, are pursuing knowing him and loving him is by far the greatest joy in ministry. This is what it's all about. Um, it's a good morning. Even if it's a weird morning, it is a good morning. Uh, as a youth group, we've been going through the book of Ephesians over the last few months, and so I thought it'd be really fitting to look at Ephesians and see how Ephesians speaks to the idea of baptism. The reality is this, that in baptism, we are rehearsing the gospel. Baptism itself is a physical representation of the spiritual change that happens in a person. Baptism's a physical representation of the the spiritual change that happens through the gospel. And the good news is that Ephesians is absolutely saturated with the gospel. The essence of the gospel is that we have been brought from death to life. By the blood of Jesus. And the imagery of baptism is just that, that we've been brought from death to life. Students, bear with me if you know a few of these stories as I go. You guys get to hear me talk more, so anyway. Back in high school, I had a friend who owned a four-wheel drive truck, and we both loved the outdoors. Uh, Shortly after he got his license, we decided it would be fun to just spend a day exploring the hills of Amador County. Amador County is where I grew up, and 
the only kind of dirt that exists in Amador County is clay or rock. And the, so everything is like red and white. And when it rains, which is very rare, but when it rains, the water has nowhere to go and it creates these just huge pools. Well, we decided to go out. We found this public land that was supposed to have some huge clay pits at the back, areas where you could just, you know, drive around in big holes and have fun, whatever. And as we headed down this dirt road, we made it to the first challenge, which was apparently it rained recently, and so the entire road had turned into a pond, and this whole area just flooded with water. There was no way around it, and so we decided, well, we don't know what we're doing, so let's try to drive through it. First job worked out okay. We made it to the other side, and we just kept driving down the road. We kept heading back to these clay pits, and right as we pull into the first clay pit, the truck just dies. <clears throat> Nothing. We're about three miles from the road at this point, and uh, the road is still far, far from town. Turn the key, you know, absolutely nothing. Not even trying to turn over, just like <clears throat> that horrible noise. So, you know, we're resourceful young men. We're, we're thoughtful, creative, so we decided we'd grab a come-along. We'd drag the truck to the top of this hill, and then we'd roll it back down the hill, pop the clutch, and everything would be great. So we tried to find something to anchor it to, which was a challenge of its own, because as I said, nothing grows in clay and it doesn't rain. So there's not a lot of trees out there, but we found one, and we drug the truck to the top of this hill and uh, let it loose, rolling backwards, pop the clutch, nothing. Just slid to the bottom, wheels didn't even turn. So at this point, we decided, you know, I don't think this is probably going to work out. So we decided we're going to go ahead and walk back out to the road and hope to find some help. So we started walking, and about the time we find cell signal, it's getting dark. Call my dad. He comes out in his little two-wheel drive 1990 Toyota pickup, and we thought probably not a good idea to try to get back to the truck to mess with it. So called it a day, headed out, and a few days later, my friend and his dad managed to tow the truck out and found that the block had a massive crack in it, and the entire engine was flooded with water. Yeah, it doesn't take knowing much about engines to know an engine full of water is not a good thing. <laughs> it was dead. There was absolutely nothing that my friend or I could have done to get that truck running again. No matter how clever or resourceful we were, it was not going to start. It was dead completely dead. And that's exactly where Paul says that each one of us starts spiritually. Dead. Not sick, not mostly dead in need of some help. We are dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our natural state is death because we are in rebellion against God. And we don't like to talk about this because Frankly, it's just not very nice. <laughs> it's much nicer to focus on the, the nice things, right? The, the good things that we see in each other. We prefer to focus on how we're pretty nice people. 
Like, maybe there are some people who are dead, but that certainly can't apply to me. Yet Paul, a man who from childhood probably had more of the Bible memorized than most of us ever hoped to memorize, and Paul, who was rigorously trained from a young age as a follower of the one true God, he says all of us, including himself in that, all of us, were dead because of our rebellion. It's clear that Paul here isn't just making a statement for people who have a messed up life, who have a, a rough testimony. No, every one of us is spiritually dead until the Holy Spirit breathes new life into us. You might be quick to argue that prior to faith you lived a pretty good life, but unless Jesus was your king, you're dead. Our spiritual state is not affected by how nice we are. The reality is that for the majority of us in this room, the sins that we struggle with are kind of socially acceptable sins. I don't think we have a whole lot of murderers with us on a nice morning like this. Unless Jesus is king, you are living in rebellion. And if you are in rebellion, you're dead. Stop looking to other people to confirm that you aren't so bad. Jesus lays it out really clearly for us in Matthew 6.24 when he says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Maybe for you it's money. Maybe it's a nice family. Maybe it's a, a good reputation. Maybe it's, it's being comfortable or some other socially acceptable sin. But Jesus is clear here. You can't serve two masters. Paul is clear. You're dead because you are living by the desires of your body and your mind. And this doesn't mean that you were doing horrible things. It means that you were on the throne of your life instead of Jesus. I read a, a quote this week that I thought uh, really provides some great insight to this idea. It's that any expression of self-proclaimed likeness to God is forbidden us. Not because it breaks some law arbitrarily decreed by God, although he is allowed to make those laws. But it's because it's an action that is tantamount to a fundamental death-dealing ontological lie, meaning a lie about our very existence, our being. We are not God. We are not our own origin, nor are we our ultimate fulfillment. To claim to be so is a suicidal act that wounds our faith relationship with the living God and replaces it with a futile faith in self that never can truly exist. If anyone other than Jesus is on the throne of your life, you're dead. And maybe by this point today, you're thinking, well, I was hoping for a little bit more cheerful Sunday. And I was hoping the sound system wouldn't break. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> the good news is the gospel doesn't stop here. But to understand the depths of the goodness of what Jesus has done for each one of us, we have to recognize the depths of our wretchedness, the depths of our need. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 is one of the sweetest passages in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You were dead. You were subject to God's wrath. Your situation was hopeless. But God, but God has raised us out of death by uniting us with Christ. You were hopeless, but God. The two greatest words in the world, but God. He did not leave us in the death that we deserved. Instead, he unites us with Christ. And not on a whim, but because it's absolutely who he is. He is gracious and merciful and loving. And I recognize that as I say that, that's not new information for us. A lot of us, a lot of us recognize that. But it's so essential that we internalize that. That we get it beyond just head knowledge that we understand to something that shapes the very core of who we are. We were dead, but God, the merciful one, the gracious one, the one who loves you, he has united you with Christ. He brought us together with his son so that Jesus might absorb our sin and we might gain his righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 5.21, Paul puts it beautifully when he says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Not only did Jesus absorb our sin and the wrath of God that we deserved, but his righteousness becomes ours. By being united, eternally joined with Christ, his goodness becomes our own. Brothers and sisters, you are beautiful because you are united with Christ. All of his goodness, his beauty, his righteousness has become your very own because you are united with him. And here is where the imagery of baptism starts to become really clear. In a few minutes, we're going to take four young people and we're going to plunge them under the water. And this is the image of the death of their sin nature. The image of being buried with Christ, his death becoming theirs. We acknowledge our helplessness, our hopeless state, that what we have called life is really death. And in the act of burying our bodies in the water, we act out the death of that old life. And then we're going to pull each one of you back out, I promise. And this is the image of the new life that we have in Christ. Verse 6 says this, And he raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have died with Christ. Your old life, the sinful, dead life, has been crucified and buried with him, but you have been raised to new life. It's not just about killing the old self. It's about the new person that you are as soon as the Holy Spirit indwells you. Baptism is a picture of the gospel of putting to death the old nature and being raised, united with Christ to your new self, who is righteous and pure through the blood of the Lamb. Last week, I was chatting with Nick, and he told me about a lady in the news who, due to a bank error, had 
$1.2 million deposited into her bank instead of the $80 that she was supposed to receive. She was thinking fast, and she quickly transferred the money out of that bank account into another bank account <laughs> so that the bank couldn't fix the error. <laughs> and now the bank has to sue her to try to regain those funds. The gospel of Jesus is worth far more than $1.2 million. And here Paul tells us we don't have to jump through crazy hoops to gain it or to hold on to it. It's by grace and grace alone that you are saved. Nothing you do can add to that gift of salvation. You're saved simply because Jesus has saved you. Paul closes this section with the iconic verses that tell us that we are saved and made new by grace alone so that we might live in newness of life. We are saved and made new by grace alone so that we might live in newness of life. For by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. For not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. We're not only saved, but we are made new. The New Living Translation says that we are God's masterpieces. I love that. Your salvation is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is a complete new life to which you are given. You have been pulled out of darkness and brought into the light. You no longer roam aimlessly through life, but you have been given a clear purpose. You have been cleansed. You've been given gifts. You've been given a family. You are a masterpiece made new in Jesus. In many ways, baptism is your commissioning into this new life. Evangeline, Matthew, Kate, Jesse, we are all here today to affirm the new life that we see in you and to send you out to live in that new life. We are here to celebrate what Jesus has done in making you new and encourage you to continue to walk in that new life that he has given you. And today you're going to stand in front of us and say that you're confident that your only hope is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And as you burst out of the water and people clap and cheer for you, we are celebrating that new life, the real life in Jesus that you now have. I want to encourage you today to lean on each other and to lean on the rest of the church. The Christian life is a life that was always intended to be done in community. We're called to bear each other's burdens, to weep together, to rejoice together, to pray together. So my challenge for you this morning is dig deep into this community. Get to know people and not just people who are your own age. Get to know lots of different people. Use the gifts God has given you here. And in the next few years, as you start heading off to college, to, to new jobs, to wherever your life takes you, put down roots again. Find a church that proclaims the gospel where Jesus is central and dig in. Get to know people. Use the gifts God has given you to serve his people, your family. I'm so thankful that each of you today is making this statement. 
Jesus is king. As we get ready, let me pray for you all. And then Evangeline, you get to come up and be first. Heavenly Father, we uh, pause in this moment and reflect on your goodness, your grace, your love to us. There's nothing that we could do on our own to earn your favor, to, to come back to life on our own, and so you came to us. I want to pray for Evangeline, Matthew, Kate, and Jesse this morning. I pray that they would have a joyful time in this baptism. That through your Holy Spirit, you would use them in just great ways for your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.